0: Week of taking notes, a week that finds us with admissions decisions on the horizon. I know this because it's time for me to get ready to go into admissions committee and pick a whole new crop of seventh graders, which means that folks will be getting decisions for this year shortly thereafter. And so Wanted to talk a little bit about that, whether it is college, whether it's independent school across the country. There are a couple of things that I always impress upon folks to remember when it comes to admissions. And it starts with not being so enamored with the name brand of the destination or dream school that it makes you have to sacrifice pieces of your lifestyle that ultimately will make the experience of being there, not what you think or would hope that it would be. So fit becomes the big word, and that can mean a lot of things. So I want to drill down on three pieces of what I think are really important when it comes to fit and being a partner with the school. Because I think it's important for families to understand that when They go to a school, send their child to a school. They become partnered with that school as well so that the experience of that child or children is maximized. Meaning that when you get to the end of your time at that school, you look back as a family and think this was worth our time. Our children were made to feel positive. They were made to feel whole. They were affirmed, they were seen. I hate it when I come upon families who spend any amount of time in a school, four years, six years in some cases, and at the end, they're jaded and they feel like they—they they, their time was wasted. The things that they had to go through at said school or institution caused definite and, and long lasting harm. That's not what we want. So fit becomes important. So here are my three main nuggets. The first is that you are a part of the community when you get accepted to a school, which means that you want to be able to go to events. You want to be, able to be able to get to campus when necessary. You want to be able, if your child is participating in extracurricular activities, to be able to go to those things. So if you cannot, or it's going to be a stretch to do that, need to think about if that's a fit. If you're not able to access all of the things that the school has to offer, you really need to rethink whether that place is the place for you. The second is, is a school going to have the support necessary for your child? And that, of course, is individual. But do they have those support mechanisms in place, again, so that the schooling experience feels welcoming, feels warm? feels like your child and family are valued. So that could be learning support. That could be athletic support. That could be performing arts uh, support. Does the place have a theater? Do they have tech? Do they have instruments? Do they have repair options when an instrument needs to be repaired? In this time where athletics is so important, one of the things that I would talk about with families, does your school's athletic department have training facilities and, and strength and conditioning, what we now call sports performance, so that your child is continuing to, to compete with their peers who may have these things readily available and can help take your child to the next level. So support mechanisms are important. The final thing that I wanna get into and I've touched on it, but I want to hammer it one more time, is logistics. And one of the things that often comes up during admissions is where you apply to school. And for me, if you are applying to a school that you cannot easily access, it's taking an hour, two hours to get there, then you really need to consider the value add of that institution over someplace that is closer. Because if it is taking you that long to access the campus, then what does that mean for how early your child has to get up in the morning to get there? What does that mean for how late your child will arrive home from school on a daily basis and begin their homework if they are participating in extracurricular activities that only drives that late night arrival time back further? So if they're getting home at 7.30, 8 o'clock before they even start their homework and have dinner and then have what is often multiple hours of homework at any quote unquote elite institution, how much sleep are they getting and then have to turn around and do it all again? Logistics is very, very important. If you're applying to a school that is so far away that you perhaps have to you know, ha- hire a driver or need to have bus service, what is that, what does that mean for your bottom line versus where you might otherwise be able to put those funds. In some cases, people are applying so far away that they have to think about getting an apartment or even moving. The question continually has to be asked, is applying to a school with a great brand name worth all of that? So I I wish great luck to all those who are awaiting decisions. I hope that everyone Gets the result; those admits, those yeses, the yeses that they are looking for, and hopefully it is multiple, so that you have the opportunity to choose the best option for your child and your family. So, given that it is admission season, I wanted to have a conversation with somebody expert in the field, and and particularly in the ways that. Schools are accessed these days. So coming up, conversation with a friend and colleague, Colette Bowers-Zinn, the founder and executive director of private school access. That's coming right up after this break. Taking notes with Dr. John Carroll is powered by Bixie Pots, makers of high quality shea butter that keeps the body moisturized for the whole day. Visit BixiePots.com today. Okay, welcome back. It is time for office hours, and my streak of getting awesome guests continues. So it is admission season all over SoCal, and literally you can say nationally when you think about independent schools, Folks who are applying will be finding out in the next couple of weeks if they're going to get to go to that destination school that they've targeted for any number of years. And so I figured it'd be a great time to check in with a professional, the proprietor, founder, fearless leader of (laughs) private school access, which is uh, among the, you know, access, access, excuse me, organizations here in SoCal. So welcome Colette Bowers, how are you this evening?
1: I am wonderful. Thank you for having me.
0: Wonderful. And for proper, you know, introductions, are we, are we, we used, did I get the full name right? Or, you know, cause I know it used to be hyphenated.
1: I, I was never hyphenated and I am Bowers Zen.
0: There we go. So <laughs> Colette Bowers Zen, wanna be, you know, accurate. All good. Pride ourselves, accurate. So I will get right to it. What was the thing that made you, you know, decide to start uh, your company? You had been here doing the educator work in schools and and impacting lives. And and what made you decide to go kind of outside of that and, and, you know, provide the breadcrumbs for people looking
1: to get an independent (laughs) school? So uh, two things happened. One, I left schools to start my own consulting firm. Uh, and I mm-hmm. was doing a lot of the work of people and education. Help, not was, still am, doing the work of people in education, helping folks with everything from birth up, parenting, co-parenting, looking at schools, applying to schools, uh, educational support, all of it. And a big part of it was school placement. And I had a crisis of conscience and thought to myself, man, all of these services that you're offering to folks should be offered to people of color at no cost. So I wanted to get into the world of nonprofit access organizations. And I went to work with a local one and loved my time there. Just thought that the access organization model needed a revamp. So I ultimately left to build private school AXIS, A-X-I-S, and we're really cutting edge in the AXIS organization model for several reasons. One, we uh, don't just help kids with a white glove handheld process that we do to explore, learn about, apply to local private schools, but we also stay with them for the duration of their education. We're there to answer all questions, help them craft communications, show up to meetings that they have, offer support to families with their academics, social, emotional, all of that, et cetera. We all know that private schools are their own very unique ecosystems. And so for certain folks, uh, the process of getting in is complex for everyone. But for certain, certain folks, once you drop them off at the doorstep with no further support, that almost does more harm than good in their lives. So we stay with them for the duration. We also recently launched a first-of-its-kind diversity, equity, and inclusion accreditation system for our schools to be able to do self-reflection on DEI practices, have a visit, and uh, come out of that with goal-setting and support in partnership with our organization. And last but not least, we uh, place educators of color in our partner schools as well. So gone are the days where you just help folks get into schools, but we put mm-hmm. equal time into working with our schools who are partnering with us. We have uh, 34 current partner schools to make sure that they're the healthy spaces that they're committing to being alongside their commitment to diversity.
0: I love it. And you gave me some great nuggets that I'm going to come back to. <laughs> but before I get to it, I'm curious on the consumer end, right? The folks that you're trying to help. What's the biggest thing that you are seeing that folks coming to the door uh, when you start your cohorts need to understand about the private school process.
1: That it is all-encompassing and overwhelming, right? You got to name that for people out out outright. Um, I've put I put less time into getting into my Ivy League college thirty years ago than these folks, not just the people we work with, but any people mm-hmm. that are trying to get mm-hmm. in private schools do currently. And so if you didn't know that that's what's coming and that you are not alone in the process and that it can be overwhelming if you don't name those things for people then people give up thinking that they're the only ones and they can't do it. They don't understand the process and they're, they're not the only ones. It is an all-encompassing, not easy to decipher um, process that you have to be all in to do. It's like another full-time job to explore these schools, to do your proper research, to get to all of the events, fill out the applications, interviews, all of it. It is like another full-time job.
0: Absolutely. And to your point earlier, it's one thing to get through that part of the process. It's another thing to get through the next four to six years in an independent school, maintaining a similar level, if not more, commitment to whatever institution you become in partnership with. Yeah. So,
1: and the engagement. Absolutely.
0: I think, I think that's why I like when you talk about the value add of staying with families to continue, you know, that partnership so that they have, you know, a mentor, an advocate, you know, throughout the time, especially if it's new, if it hasn't been in the family uh, previously, mm-hmm. because there are. There is there is always that hidden curriculum that those who know know and those who don't won't unless correct. What
1: you don't know, you don't know, and that's especially important for people of color in these institutions. Uh, What you don't know, you don't know, and so we got to be there and help folks understand what the landscape is. Uh, a lot of families that are tied to financial aid feel like they can't give their authentic mm-hmm. voices or advocate for what they want or uh, with the passion that they want to because they feel like there will, might be retribution financially if they do. And that's why organizations like Axis exist so that we can come in and help facilitate a very peaceful and calm advocacy for whatever the issue is in the moment.
0: And so that brings me to my next question, because this is what I, lo- you know, find fascinating about what you're trying to build out in your organization writ large, is that you're doing the access part on the outside, and so you're kind of helping families into the door, but you're also making a strong commitment to make sure schools are staying true to their stated goals and missions. And these days, you can't be a school that is being attentive and, and continues to be in the forefront unless you are addressing the 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 continued need to be culturally relevant and competent, however you may describe it, whether you have a active dei office and team or not, you still have to be able to be uh, fluent in the language, you know, given the continued diversity of the population. So the question then becomes, how do you balance the advocacy of helping parents into these organizations, these institutions? while also to some degree holding them accountable, trying to push them forward in their mission, you know, of being more diverse, more equitable, more more inclusive.
1: I think that commitment to both processes is very clear as we explore partnership with the school. And so mm-hmm. we are working with 34 schools who have said, we are committed to diversity and wish to partner with you in the exposure and application part. And we're also committed to being self-reflective and being the healthy spaces necessary to cultivate the diversity that we're attracted. And so we have yet to receive any pushback from any of our partner schools when we have to have conversations around uh, areas for growth in any element of process, admissions process, or process uh, and experience once in the school, especially as they relate to DEI.
0: Do you anticipate said processes? Because again, you are pushing, right? And in some cases, pushing schools into a direction that certainly when they are founded, they weren't feeling they might need to go. And so what's the preparation for that tension that arises?
1: Absolutely, we we intend to do, to, that there will be pushback, that there will be tensions. And the reality is if, both organization and school are focused on what we are supposed to be focused on, which are the children, then we have to find inroads to meet in the middle and do the work that's necessary to create the optimal environments for these kids. Um, Absolutely, there's going to be pushback. But what we do is establish, we are very relational as an organization. So we establish strong ties with all of the people that we're working with at the schools. So they know that we're not coming from a place of judgment. And we we work just as hard with our schools as we do with our families. So our schools also know that we're in it with them. We're not just giving you feedback and saying, good luck to y'all, hope you handle it. We're here. We're in it with you. And we're offering our schools partnership and feedback and work that some people are paying tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars for from consultants. We are offering that Mm -hmm. at no cost to our schools. So our schools know that if something arises, if we're providing them feedback that needs some immediate or beyond work, that we're also here to help them strategize and execute that work as well.
0: Well said. Well said. I hope folks are paying attention. This is why I wanted to talk to you because, again, as I read it and as someone who's in schools and knowing what it is to engage network, right, particularly in a climate where there is great pushback um, and some schools and institutions, not even just schools, have retreated from, you know, their stated goals of being diverse, equitable, and inclusive. You know, I can only imagine what that means if you are at the same time trying to advocate for families to be in partnership with these schools while also recognizing that they may not be as serious as they may state. So I, I will. Also I would just want to hear how you articulate that and, and deal with that because I could see for me where that would be sticky working with families.
1: It is sticky. It can be sticky. But I will also say to you that we are very committed to and articulate this to our schools, that we are trying to take you where from where you are with no judgment to where you want to be slash should be. So part of working with us is that we're not here to judge you. We, we, we articulate to all of our schools as well that we're not a, an organization that's asking you to rush into any change or into any action. So we are here to really reflect self-reflect, guide you through that process, to look at all the information and data that we can assess, and then to start to plan and to plan on the level at which a school is. So you you got a small school where this is new work for them and they're receiving some pushback from families. The plan that we articulate is going to look very different from a very large school with endless resources and Almost everyone in the community is on board for change. Uh, there's no cookie cutter way to do this. You know this firsthand. No cookie cutter way to get at DEI work. And so we acknowledge this and are strongly committed to working with schools where they are and taking them to where they should, could, would be.
0: I love it. And I will say continue good luck with it. I'm certainly here to help in any way I can from from within my institution and Because it's so necessary, because that brings me to the next question that I have, which is you talked about being at an access organization previously and and recognizing that there needed to be uh, tweaks to that model. I'm curious in terms of access, A-X-I-S, where you guys land in terms of preparation for students coming into the door, because as someone who sits on admissions committees and has that, you know, that pleasure one of the things that tugs at me is when we have students and families who we come to know personally, you know, because of visits and interviews and all the things, but the gaps in the preparation academically, you know, are such that it just would not make for a good fit. So again, the question becomes knowing what you know about all these different partner schools, what is the preparation model to make sure that no matter where the student wants to go and applies, they will be prepared to go to that institution?
1: The reality is they likely won't be prepared always to go into that institution. That's the reality, because that's the reality of the inequity of our education system. Right. So a lot of these kids are coming from schools that are not private that don't necessarily prepare them to enter an academically rigorous environment. And so several things happen to optimally prepare them. Uh, We work with our families for almost a year through this process. So we are getting to know them in depth, helping them to understand the process and offer them feedback as they are going through the process so that they can optimally present. But that's why I felt so deeply that we have to stay with our families for the duration because they're not always going to be prepared. And they need to have a safe place, some safe people whom they have connected with to say, hey, I need some help. And whether that's a financial thing, an academic thing, an advocacy thing, that's why we exist. Our student intern cohort right now is planning uh first and foremost, their student and educator of color conference that will be in May. But secondly, they are working on, for our organization, um, a peer and recent graduate tutoring program that they are going to launch. Mm -hmm. That's important because in a city where uh, education support can start at $100 plus per hour, in order for our kids to have their needs met, And to be on par, as you're asking, we have to provide support that's accessible to them. So they both, one, have to be able to feel comfortable asking for it, and two, be able to access it, support, so that they can be optimal participants in their classes, communities, and beyond.
0: I love that piece about the access to the support, because there are so many niche industries popping up around the, the empire of <laughs> independent schools that almost make it, you know, further hindrance for those looking to get in the door, because you need to have, for example, it used to be test prep. Many schools have gone test optional since COVID, yes, yes, but yes. it used to be that, you know, on top of whatever application fee you might be paying. You also had to think very seriously about how much am I going to sink into test prep to take, you know, the independent school entrance exam, because to score competitively meant that you had to be, you know, if you weren't at one of the bigger feeder schools that have been identified throughout town and every town has them, you know, you needed to be able to have that test prep in order to score competitively. So now, you know, to know that, okay, we kicked down a at least one of those doors, in terms of tutoring and, sure. and homework, so that sure. the grades are proper. That's exciting to hear. I'm curious what you think on this. This one just came to me. I didn't have it, but you know, hearing you talk, I'm curious what you think about the burden on schools if they are really serious about, you know, diversifying student bodies and and, and realizing what you know research tells us are the benefits of having a diverse student body. What's the what's the burden on schools to do their part to provide more on-ramps to the school? For example, you know, bridge that's programs start. and programs. Exactly. Right. We, we know of those that exist in which schools have and, and don't have them. Do you think that that's something that should be much more widely
1: seen, you know, in the independent school landscape? Absolutely. And I think, I think that the answer is parallel to what you were saying about the research on diversity in education. So the, the party line is all of the studies show, the more diverse the learning environment, the better outcomes for all students, not just students of color. It's the same mm-hmm. thing for setting these kids up for success with specific programs leading into schools. Like you said, Fast Start, uh, all of them. I don't remember any of the other names, but it's important that these exist for all kids coming into the schools so that they are getting executive functioning, study skills and organization, all of the things that are necessary for any child coming into the school. In addition to that baseline, there should be across all differences um, specific programs that are targeted for kids that schools decided to open their doors to knowing that there might be some gaps. So there should be mm-hmm. preparation summer before um, intensive math or English or whatever the subject matter camps for kids. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not talking about just kids of color or economically diverse. For any child who we might anticipate some learning gaps, let's set them up for success by by specifically designing programs that transition them into the schools with the skills that they need. Our, Our schools across the board could do much better, and they could do much better in collaboration with other schools in the same city. Like, it doesn't have to be that each school does this for however many kids, they could pull together space and resources to reach as many kids as possible
0: last question cuz you're a native angelino i'm a, i'm a transplant <laughs> right it seems that you know interest in independent school education is not cresting at this point even after a you know global pandemic that hurt a lot of people's pockets Right here in California, we're coming off a, a, a Hollywood strike that hurt a lot of people's pockets. And yet, you know, cross the border scenes, applications still through the roof. The question is, what does that mean for what we need to do for public education? Right. Because while we both do this work, I think we both would understand that. A, it's not for everybody. B, there are multiple pathways. C, to have a thriving society, you need to have a strong public school system. So. What do you see as as things that perhaps need to change here in L.A. in particular?
1: Love the question. Love the topic. And here's always my answer. Something's got to give in both the private and public realms. Public Mm. Public schools are failing kids, especially kids of color, at astronomical rates, if you look at the matriculation to college rates, if you look at the graduation rates, if you look at the test scores, failing. What's going on in private schools is that they are costing so much money currently (laughs) that if they keep going at this rate, no one's going to be able to attend private school. So my answer is, my personal belief and answer is that we are going to have to start at least with some programs meeting in the middle, and local public schools working with the private schools in their districts to provide exposure to both populations, programs for both populations. There's benefits that public schools and their programs and their people can offer private, and the same of private schools to public schools. And we need to start getting around the table in partnership and seeing where we can create programs and opportunities to work together that will both uplift the students in both communities and bring down the costs across community as well.
0: I love it. Club hours and I knew this would be a great conversation. You used to have your own podcast, you know. Hopefully, you'll get back to it, you know, on a more regular. Though I know you're super busy making access and all that it is doing happen. But we are glad you took some time to be on Take Notes with us today. Of course. We will definitely be promoting anything that you have going on, galas, fundraisers, and such, because this is important work uh, that you're doing. So we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for the time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for my time with Colette Bauer Zen. Again, you can find private school access on the interwebs and check out what they have going on. Really doing great work helping families find their way not only into but to stay in private schools across Southern California. So look forward to checking in next week. We're going to wrap up Black History Month. And I'll see you then on another episode of Taking Notes.
1: The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties.